If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, don't get us wrong. There's still going to be plenty of randomness to the show. Of course. But, that's the name of the show. The other, other name is off topic. But this is football. What you want? We got a mouth of hard listen. But it makes your race listen. Our voice is about the game. And you know we talk about the latest stories. More so than any other, and our mountain words matter. Well, will you? You listen to the podcast too, and you. You rant about the podcast too. Just a site where Jeremy and Eliza Matthew and Kiss the Queen the Christian. We do some good interviews. And you know from Fresno all the way to Boise, from Logan down to Ashley, they're calling out our name. Where will you? You listen to the podcast too. Well, that was new, and I was running to change rooms. I'm back. Jeremy, Monster, Eli, you with me? Are we starting? Is this working? Yep, I'm I'm here. Yeah, that was our old intro. So if you if you're familiar with that one, cool. And I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, I heard half of it because I had to change rooms, and so I'm out of breath for a half a second. <laughs> Basketball, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. It's been off, a busy week, as it always is, right? Off-season hoops, sort of. MWR.com, that's our website. Uh, Twitter, same thing. Actually, no, it's not MWC Wire, but how you been? Apparently, I listened to our last show. Nobody could hear me, so that sucks. So I apologize for that, but I would blame it Blog happens. Talk Radio. It happens. I will blame Blog Talk Radio, but we're using it tonight, so cross my fingers that this thing... All right, so what are we doing tonight? What's our, what's our plan? Do we need to pre-show, or are we going right into it? <laughs> I, I think we can hop right into it. I guess we can start with the news about Gonzaga, if you'd like. I guess I got some Yeah, collective side. I got some takes for Gonzaga. Um, right. So if you haven't heard, they're staying in the, in the West Coast Conference. Duh. And it's because they played everybody like a fl- flute, right? Maybe. Probably. Wait, why, why, why do you say maybe? I mean, we never know for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, you're more defensive <laughs> than maybe. I think they did because here's the reason why. Because I said for a million years – a long time, for a while at least, that the reason Mountain West is looking to add more teams in basketball, and the reason why it's still legitimate they could have gone to 14 or 16 because they're talking to so many teams is because tournament credits, because that's how you make money without adding like a great TV deal, which this league will never have, like 10 million plus or whatever. So adding the credits is the way to do it because. Gonzaga, if they left for this year, would lose seven million dollars. I think that I mean that's the whole equation right there. I don't think anything else really needs to be said. If any program has the potential of losing seven million dollars, regardless of which conference it would be leaving or joining, that has to be the bottom line. So I think that right there is 
your number one reason why this didn't happen. Do you know how much each Mountain West school gets in their media rights still, which includes football, which, if you don't know, obviously Gonzaga, no football. You you told me, but I don't remember what it was. So it's about – Boise gets a little bit more, about like $1.8 million. Every other team gets about 1.2-ish, just over a million bucks. So okay. that's per year. So Zags will be giving up $7 million for a school that doesn't sponsor football, which is six times more than what every Mountain West school team gets. Basically, it's, about, it's half the Mountain West uh, media rights deal. And that's because Gonzags made tournament run after tournament run after tournament run, final four run, and then also include – any appearances by Gonzaga or excuse me, St. Mary's and state tournament over the past six years and BYU make it a couple of appearances in the first four. So there they lose all that money and that's too much money to give up. I I mean, do you think this completely ends the negotiations at least for another year or so? No, not at all. You know why? Why is that? Because it's, um, I know I sent you the link, and we may or may not write something on it, who knows, because it's kind of sort of old news, but it's a rolling six-year period. So it's not like every, the money the West Coast Conference is getting Final Four run comes in one year. It'll come every year. So they'll get a portion of the money this year, next year, and so on for like a rolling six-year period or something, whatever, or for whatever the West Coast Conference is getting for the tournament. So next year, it may decrease year after, it'll get even less. Well, the money they, I mean, the money they get. That's why. My concern, if I'm understanding this correctly, Gonzaga got to the national title the year before, I guess this past week. Uh, so wouldn't the tourney credits increase since they played six total games in the NCAA tournament that year? I think that seven, I don't know the exact, but I believe that seven million dollars is included in that amount they'd be losing, okay. including the final four, because they get. X amount of money per year. It's like, uh, I wish I had that Hero Sports article. Maybe I'll find out. I DM'd you on it. But I think it um, it says rolling six-year period. So I'm guessing it's like a percentage per year or something. Mm. I just know the amount they're losing. But per game is like, wasn't like 1.8 million per game? 1.7 million per NCAA tournament game you period you get for your league? I think it was something like that, yeah. So they give up that. And... With the, not, the reason why I say it's not close also, it's because Craig Thompson, who is a dummy and opens his mouth for some reason, blew it to uh, and kind of pre-announced, oh, we're done. We're not working on this. Uh, it's over. It's not going to happen. And it, to me, it sounded like he didn't open his mouth at the right time, though, because right towards the end, I don't know who reported it. It might have been Dennis Dodd, but he said, I, I think – Brian Ross, the Gonzaga AD, said that he had no communication with Craig Thompson over the last handful of days. So that is immediately concerning because I don't know why you wouldn't have contact if you're trying to lure a a nationally renowned program into your conference and you're not making sufficient communications. That one just is somewhat baffling to me. Well, it also came out of the blue. It's like, um, why would it? It's like, I don't, first of all, I don't know why he's talking just to San Diego, San Diego Union Tribune. That's fine that Mark Ziegler got that's great for him. But it's like, why are you even talking publicly about it, even when it came out the first time? It's like, was it two, it, two things it did. Like, we'll get some rap kind of, it'll all come together. But two things that did, one, get everybody excited to get about it. And then clearly mentioned Gonzaga publicly because we've known Mark Few hasn't really liked the West Coast Conference. He said a year, I think a 2016 West Coast tournament that he wants Pepperdine, the the bottom of the conference to get better, Pacific to be better, to do things to help the league overall. And so there's that where him blabbing Craig Thompson to the Tribune about that gives West Coast well, we, not that the West Coast wasn't doing anything already because I'm pretty sure they were talking to Gonzaga with Roth and uh, Mark Few there. But they gave him a chance to make a move. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, let's get a deal done because something's going to happen. Like, try to keep Gonzaga in any way possible. And so that's one of his mistakes right there. I also think maybe, this is just speculation, but maybe one of the reasons that Thompson wanted to make this public is because so many fans and coaches and media people have been maybe concerned or just frustrated with Thompson's reluctance to approach any sort of expansion and and we've seen that as recent as maybe a year or so ago that Thompson said he was completely content with the current membership and so maybe this when it's all said and done is 
is a, a little bit of fuel in the fire to say that Thompson has at least thought of expanding the conference to some certain extent, even if these negotiations negotiations were never really that close. We don't know that for sure, but maybe Thompson can use this for the next few months or maybe even years and say, hey, we tried to get Gonzaga, but it just didn't work out. Well, I don't know. I think you're being too nice because I used to be the fan, like, like, kind of like, oh, there's other things that are not his fault or are his fault. Like, oh, certain things that were like the Mountain TV deal. People said it's terrible. It was a terrible deal. Not necessarily his fault, but a great idea in theory and forward thinking. But my thing is, I think it was close. But here's the thing. This literally, like, there's a few people that I know the guys who did Lobo Lair, the Mark guy, he said a tweet, tweet, like, hey, like, there's somebody joking, like, hey, I think it was out of the blue, the guy had, like, 10 Twitter followers and mentioned, like, Idaho, New Mexico State, all sorts of random teams about joining the Mountain West. Not Gonzaga on there, I don't think. Like, hey, for what's worth, I've, I've heard a little bit about Gonzaga, but nothing for sure. Just kind of whatever. He he knows some stuff. He knows their coaching searches stuff the past couple years before he kind of stopped doing that. Was uh, He knows what he's talking about. I'm like, okay, cool. I just, whatever, it's curious. But had Thompson not gone publicly, we would have never known this happened at all, right? Most likely. That That's my point. If he doesn't open his big mouth, nobody knows he misses on this. But right? don't you think that there's a, a sliver of possibility that he wanted to share this to show that, hey, we've tr- been trying to make some progress with the conference membership? Yeah, but then when he opens his big mouth and catches Gonzaga off guard, and then Craig Thompson gets upset in the Final Four game, Michigan Loyal is like, guys, I watched the Final Four. Why are you texting me and calling me? I'm like, you're the dummy who spoke big two deal. minutes before tip. I'm like, yeah, he spoke five minutes before tip off. I'm like, of course your phone's going to blow up during the game. It's like, yeah, think about yeah. it. I was like, the the first mention of it, okay, not a big deal. The second mention saying, oh, it's probably not going to happen. It's like, what does he expect to happen? Gonzaga's a top ten program. I, I think they are up there, but they're national power oh, yeah. final four the year before, 20 straight NCAA tournament appearances, maybe, maybe 21, dating back to late 90s. So it's like, you got to think, it's like, are you that deaf and dumb and tone deaf to realize it's a big deal? But here's the thing, like, I don't blame him for not getting Gonzaga this time. It's like how it was handled because the Zags, I still, because it, it caught me off guard. Like, what, is it Gonzaga seriously considering this going on? I'm like, holy crap, it's huge news. And so we covered the crap out of it, wrote a million articles, why they will come, why they won't. Um, we brought guys on to talk about this. We covered BYU because that was part of it. And Gonzaga, we brought all these guys' podcast stuff. And it reads it's a big deal. And people were clamoring and finding our content and tweeting about Gonzaga, Mountain West, and everything. And people get mad at us for speculating larger conference, which I still think realistic possibility when you're speaking to 16th. You don't speak 16th for one slot. <laughs> That's my point. Right. But I, I just think here's what happens, too. He goes public. West Coast Conference didn't have a commissioner in place, the intro commissioner. They get a regular a commissioner hired. They had a regular scheduled meeting, which I'm sure they already talked about the basketball stuff before. They make all the changes, and Gonzaga decides to stay. But I think, honestly, Craig Thompson opened his big mouth, basically killed it for next year regardless. Like him saying before that Final Four game, oh, I think it's done. And then you had a Spokane review, talks to Mike Roth. like, this caught us completely off guard. We were we had not made a decision either way. We we're going to meet next week, but that's likely canceled now because Craig Thompson opened his big fat mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a complicated scenario. I think this definitely causes a bit of a concern for the potential of this happening again in the future because maybe this is as close as Gonzaga will come to the Mountain West because I think maybe behind the scenes Thompson kind of showed his hand to Gonzaga and their administration. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he couldn't even hold his cards right to show the table. It's like, come on, here's what I got guys. Come after me. It's it's disappointing. Yeah. And here's what, for those who don't know, I I don't know if we mentioned last time or if you heard it or not because of the stupid microphone issue, but here's what the West Coast conference did. They basically, they're giving Gonzaga a higher, here's why I say it's money. It all comes down to money. I don't care about anything else. It's all money. And that's the point because Craig Thompson said they didn't want to give another great deal to like what Boise has for football, which in hoops, I don't know how much it would have been that big a deal if he gave Gonzaga a tiny bit more because percentage of hoops money is not a lot compared to football. But for, for one thing, Craig Thompson in the league, they're doubling the tournament appearance fee, you know, not fee, but compensation to 200000 per team and then splitting the rest. So if you make the tournament, you get two hundred grand, and then whatever's left over split evenly. So Nevada gets a little bit extra. 
for mate for this year. I don't think it's I don't know if it's per game or periods, but regardless, there's a if you make tournament, you get a little extra bump than say Air Force or San Jose State, who hasn't made the tournament in a long time. But West Coast Conference, here's what they did in an era where the Big Ten and other conferences are going to 20 names, 20 game schedules, which means fewer non-conference games for them. Gonzaga and West Coast, or West Coast says, okay, we'll go from 18 to 16. Which okay, two more games. It's not a two round robin, which means just like the Mountain West, they want to pit the best teams against each other to avoid like not everybody plays like the bottom feeders twice. So like, who's the worst teams in the West Coast? You know, is that Pepperdine, like Pacific? Pepperdine, is that yeah. the past? LMU is not very good this past year. But so they don't play them, which that does a couple of things. Okay, your RPI moves up because you don't play those. There's two fifty plus teams twice, so get rid of those. You just get to two more games, so. It's not like it's even though when we talk to Will Moppin, yeah, I want top 25 teams to come to the kennel. In theory, they could schedule two top 100 teams and help their RPI. But how bad good is their RPI going to help when they're already getting like a top 25 RPI? Like, well, I that, get, that's something that I want to research as well because you can take out two if you're lucky. I mean, I don't know if you base the schedule off what the WCC preseason pool is, but if you're lucky, if you're Gonzaga two of the worst teams are wiped from your conference schedule, and you also get an additional two, I believe, if the tournament bracket is set up that way. You get another two games that are wiped from the conference tournament actually, schedule. It's one, actually. I looked into it. They already got is it one? one. Yeah, it's just one. I, I don't see that having a huge impact on RPI when it's said and done on Selection Sunday. I just don't think that yeah. that has a massive impact, whether you're a four-seed or a three-seed or something like that. Yeah, because like if you're – 25th RPI and you play like I said two like a top 100 teams considered an okay game if they're both top 100 teams where do you go from 23 to 21 RPI and then I guess the rest of it is that they want to um, what is it um, multi-tournament was it and multi-tournament events for the rest of the conference in 2019 in theory those should be better games for the conference which it, all this cumulative could help a little bit, but again, if you're a top 25 team RPI, like Nevada got a nine RPI. You know what I mean? It's like they got top 10 RPI for the schedule, which is reasonably good and who they play. But if they make everybody, everybody play those multi-tournament events, that should it help your RPI a little bit, even if they lose those games. But if you're playing good teams, early season teams, that's good, helpful. And then, but and then the here's the thing where it hurts. Here's the thing where I, I always listen, listen to a lot of Gary Parish and the CBS those guys throughout this month. One thing they mentioned, which is very good, Gonzaga is getting a bigger share percentage shares of the NCAA tournament money, which I think I mentioned, but also the back shares as well. They're getting more money. The league West Coast Conference has to approve guaranteed games, which league for some reason only wants those to be home games. Which okay, if you're a home, if it's a home game and it's a guaranteed game, the league wants to prove who the heck is LMU going to buy to come into their gym. Who is Pepperdine <laughs> going to buy to come into their gym? They're going to get a SWAC school, Atlantic Sun school, Texas Southern, like the, who played, what, 20 straight non-conference games. That's not going to help your RPI one bit. You need to go on the road and schedule games or do home and homes. Getting a guaranteed game means you pay out money, and you're already getting the less year anyways. If they're not paying the money when they had the money the past couple of years, how are they going to spend more money while getting less in return to help everybody out? Like, they, if they're not investing now, why are they going to invest? If they're not investing when they had the money, why are they going to invest when they now have less money? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have your answer. But I think the simple solution would be to have your contenders, the St. Mary's and BYU's, just try to schedule better non-conference games. And St. Mary's has missed out on a number of NCAA sure. tournaments in recent years just because they are reluctant to play outside of their arena and reluctant to play quality teams in November and December. And I don't know if Randy Bennett will ever get the memo, but that's the reason this year his team get isn't showing up on well. second Sunday. If this year doesn't get to him when he turned down Crichton, Rhode Island, and Nevada, and I think Grand, was it Grand Canyon as well, I believe? I, they were I also rumored. Least, that's a loaded non-conference yeah. schedule. That's a tremendous schedule. And Yeah, that'd be, that helps out. They win, what, 29 games? Like, if he doesn't get figured out this year, he never will. It's like, you can't just win 30 games or 28 games to get in. Because there was times when Utah State was in the Big West, they'd go 28 wins. And there's talk if would they be a bubble team or look at uh, who was it Middle Tennessee State last year did they miss out? See Bonaventure missed out when they had a ton of wins but they didn't get in. Yeah, I mean there have been a number of quality teams from these types of conferences that have missed out just because they have not been able to, not been able to or have not wanted to schedule games against quality opponents. And selection committee hammers this down every year. You have to play 
games against good teams or play on the road. And that's what Nevada did. And that's why they ended up as a seventh seed of the NCAA tournament because they played a number of games on the road in non-conference play. Here's what I'm thinking could happen with uh, Gonzaga. Because here's the reason. They lost the Florida State team, Gonzaga did. And Florida State's not overly impressive. They can schedule as tough as they want. The, Gonzaga could have the number one non-conference SOS playing like next year. They can go out and play North Carolina, Arizona, San Diego State. They can play all these great teams. They can play Nevada. They can play University of Utah, all the Pac-12 teams. Go in there to play Texas. Go play Loyola Chicago, somebody really good out of a mid-major or A-10. Those two months, they play garbage in the West Coast Conference. I'm sorry. They played garbage at the league, and that's why they look at They lost to San Diego State team who wasn't all that great beginning of the year. They nearly lost to Utah State who didn't have Kobe McEwen early in the year. It's like you're telling me when they play San Francisco, LMU, Pepperdine, uh, Portland, they're challenged like maybe one and a half times. That's a problem with them and losing. Not like I don't want to say they're bad, but when they lose to teams, it's typically teams that are probably would be at least second place in their conference. And they don't get to play those teams in league play. That's the downfall where, yeah, they get scheduled as tough as they want in November and December. But when you have January, February, and first week of March playing just teams that are whatever, it's like that doesn't prepare you for the tournament. And, it, yes, I know the Mountain West, like RPI-wise, West Coast was uh, 13, 12. Mountain West is 9. If they joined, that would move up one spot to basically in the – like I said, the West Coast Conference basically is a whack without Gonzaga in that range. So you think about it, it's like they're playing like Rio Grande Valley, Utah Valley, teams like that, or Chicago State. That's like the same competition. That seemed worse than than like LMU. And so it's like they're playing terrible teams. So if they want to get serious, like I hear the thing, it's like they're doing fine. They're doing what they can. They're making deep runs. So it's not like they're, what they're doing is wrong. But what I'm thinking is if they want to, it's like they made the title game last year. It's, I mean, they made what two Final Fours. They're obviously elite and they're doing great. But to get that edge, just a tiny bit edge, you're playing, you're challenged, uh, instead of challenged three times, you're challenged maybe half a dozen times in the Mountain West, at least. And it's road games are tough. Like, you're playing the West Coast Conference, you're taking the, not an easy trip, but Portland's not very far. Going to California is an easy ride. You're going to Fort Collins, Laramie, Logan, those are those are tough places to get to. And it kind of gets on you. It's like, gives you some, builds you up a little bit to make those uh, type of trips where you have to put more effort when you're playing at 7,200 feet in Laramie. And so that challenge helps them in the tournament. And I think – here's what I really think. It's all about money. Nothing else matters. Gonzaga will have a year or two to get all this money coming in from back pay and credits. Final Four money will be trickling in. So if I, I'm going to put make a very bold decision. In the 2020 year, Gonzaga will be in the Mountain West. I will say that right now. That's my bold prediction. Because money – it will be less money to move over. Mountain West will have a better – a new TV deal. And if they realize they can get Gonzaga, do something with ESPN because that's part of it too. They don't want to be in CBS SN because it's not as widely available. And so by that time, there'll be a new TV deal for football, basketball, and hopefully, if they're smart, get a few more games in ESPN. I think it'll be two years because I'll have most of the money. To, the financial hit will be very minimal compared to now. And I'll give the Zach a couple of years to see if this new scheduling or stuff for the whole league actually helps them at all, which if it does, it's like two RPI spots in my opinion. Yeah, I think I'm probably on board with that as well. I didn't think initially that the move would happen this year to begin with, but if the financial situation does appear more favorable than it is right now for Gonzaga to join the Mountain West, then I think it would certainly be a go for Gonzaga. Because like you said, you play a number of tournament teams in November and December, which Gonzaga has the last couple decades, and then for two months you're playing teams that are rated 200th or worse in RPI and, and do very little and hurt more than help your resume for Selection Sunday. And now that Bracket Busters, which was a great event for mid-majors to pick up that much-needed quality victory before the tournament, that no longer exists, that hurts Gonzaga and any other mid-major that's pining for an NCAA tournament spot. And so that's why Gonzaga's move to the Mountain West would make sense at least on paper, but like you said, it all comes down to money when it's said and done. Yeah, and like I said, seven million bucks—that's that's huge. Six years, six years worth of TV money, and it's like, like they're a top ten Ken Palm team. St. Mary's thirty-two, but like they're just—it's just bad teams are playing. But I think in a couple of years, it gives them a, a cop—not a cop out, but I—it makes them. It, here's the thing: if you if you want to be super optimistic about the West Coast Conference side. You're making you you are the take you could have is that oh look 
they're helping out. They want to stick around to make this work long term because they're going to stay. But you know, it's it's just money, and that's all it ever was. There's no ever no other thinking behind it because guarantee had the money not been there, so let's just say they didn't make the final four. Just made a sweet sixteen run. That's about two and a half million dollars, I think, if my math is right, two two to three million dollars that wouldn't be coming their way. But if they're getting back shares, I'm not sure how many years that takes to get up, caught up. They're getting a higher percentage of shares. And if they're bringing in 100% of the tournament revenue, but it's split that 10 ways or nine ways, whatever, whoever's in the league, it's like, geez, what's, what's the point? Because in the Mountain West, like UNLV, we'll see if they get back. They probably lose to Brandon McQueen. Mexico's getting better. Wyoming's doing fine, great with Allen Edwards. There's enough teams where it can be a four or five bid league. Not, not just because Gonzaga's in it, but two minimum. And teams that are down are finally, I think, turning back around. Like, let's let's just get to that now about the teams losing players and coaches and stuff. So, no more Gonzaga talk. But I think 2020, like, in two years, I'll give them enough time to figure it out. I still thought next year was close. But with the past three years, like Butler and um, Wichita State making a move. But, I don't know. I wonder, honestly, I wonder if Craig Thompson will keep his job because this is another miscue where how do you keep his mouth shut? Even if he opened his mouth the first time and, and nothing came out of it, that's fine. But when he opens his mouth and when publicly the AD of the other school recording says, what, is, what the heck is this? I haven't heard this. I'm caught off guard. That's where you know you're just being a dummy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a disappointment. I, I think we've we've beaten this one to a, yeah. to a pulp. But, yeah, it's a shame. I want to be clear. We'll see what happens in the next few years. So we'll see what happens. All right, so let's get to um, – so we got a coaching news. We got the news you broke last night. Fresno State, first first team to uh, not have a coach, the last team to get a coach. Good job, Bulldogs. Oh, man, yeah, it was a very interesting ride. Fresno State was without a head coach for just about 24 hours uh, – or it's not 24 hours, 24 days, excuse <laughs> me. Uh, Rodney Terry opted to leave to UTEP and bring most of his staff with him, which left the vacancy <laughs> open – to a number of guys that had West Coast ties and recruiting background. And Fresno State really hammered that home as soon as the position became available, that they wanted a head coach who had recruiting, had a strong recruiting background, was able to get talent on whoever's roster it was, and also had ties to, if not the Fresno area, at least area of California or the West Coast. And so the man in charge is Justin Hudson, who's coming over from San Diego State, he spent 10 years with the SDSU staff and also had a couple seasons in Vegas with UNLV, but he fits the mold and exactly what Fresno State wanted, which again, is a strong recruiter and Hudson's known for his defensive abilities. So what was your uh, thought on the hire then? Like, was it, I know it took forever, but was that, what was your main takeaway from that hire? Enjoy it. Uh, it I, well, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think my main takeaway is that, Hudson will probably uh, continue the success that Fresno State has had the last few years. I think he has been long overdue for a head coaching spot. I've been talking to a number of other coaches, either in or out of the league, who have been surprised that Hudson hasn't already been a head coach just because of what he knows and the success that he's had behind the scenes. So I don't think that this propels Fresno State to the top of the Mountain West. Uh, it will definitely take at least a handful of years, but the fact that Hudson is able to construct quality rosters and make the most of them as he had with, uh, let's say Kawhi Leonard, he was key in recruiting Leonard to San Diego state and turned him into one of the best NBA players uh, that there is today. So I think he'll be able to do just fine and maintain that 20 win uh, plateau that Fresno state has maintained the last few years. All right, let's get to the other teams. Colorado State brought in uh, – well, we already discussed Larry Stacey thing, but they brought over the Drake head coach, who was former CSU assistant under Tim Miles. Uh, I'm spacing his name for some reason. Um, what's his name again? Nico Medved. <laughs> Nico Medved. I, and it's a little bit odd out there. So Nico Medved comes from Drake. I think that's a pretty good hire because look what Tim Miles did in a short time. He got them to the NCAA tournament. He actually kept players on campus. <laughs> Unlike Stacey, where there's transfer Palooza. Every year, it seemed like nobody could say five years. I think it's a pretty good hire, even though they missed on Becky Hammond. May have been money, may have been, I don't know if it was the money, all that 100% completely, but I think that's more the, not to say the mental hire, but she hasn't coached college basketball. So going with a guy who has been a coach and is a good fit, head coach, did well at Drake, and knows what CSU is about. So 
like outside of the co- other coaches, I thought that was a like there's joking. Oh, Rick Pitino, he's free to come get a coach. You're like, no, you're not get Rick Pitino. But it, I think overall that like that I'm not saying that's the best they could have done, but well above average hire. It's like there's nothing wrong with, it, especially with players who are considering transfer and may come back and stay now. Yeah, that's the key. Uh, Nico Carvacho, who had been granted his permission to talk to other schools, he did not rule out Colorado State from the beginning. And at least from what I've heard within the university, I think most would say that there's at least better than 50% chance that he returns. And that would be huge for Colorado State. I tend to like the roster and the pieces that they could have heading into next year if they are able to retain the rest of the roster. They do lose Chris Martin, who was coming over from Oral Roberts. He hasn't yet played a game with CSU because he had to sit out this past season due to transfer rules. But uh, he's over now in Norman, Oklahoma, to play with the Sooners, so that's a loss for CSU. But I think if they're able to retain Carvacho and uh, all the other pieces remain intact, and just knowing Nico Medved's history with progression and quick turnarounds in his um, short career as a head coach. I think Colorado State could be decent next season. I think they could as well. It's going to be Utah State where if you Google USU head basketball coach, Tim, Dur- Tim Durier still shows up. Who do we contact from Google to fix that? <laughs> uh, but below that, it's actually Craig Smith comes over from San Diego. Or, oh, she's not San Diego. South Dakota. And he is also a uh, – wasn't he also a former CSU assistant under Tim Miles? Yes, yeah, so that's the interesting coincidence with both of these hires is that both Medved and Smith were on the 2012-2013 CSU staff under Tim Miles. And so it's a bit of a reunion as two of these guys now have head coaching gigs in the Mountain West. But I think that's also a move that makes sense. You get a guy that's familiar with the conference and has also had his respective success away from uh, the league as well. So I think both of these hires are just about – as best case as possible. I still don't agree with Utah State firing Tim Dury in the first place, and I've voiced my opinion on that a number of times. But if you did have to hire a head coach of your options, I think Craig Smith is probably at the top of the list of guys that you want. So the, I guess the, the challenge for Utah State is this is going to be a huge rebuild because Kobe McEwen has already – been granted his release and he is going to certainly end up on a power conference roster. He's gotten offers from seemingly every major conference team that you can imagine. And I guess that's what we would expect because we've seen McEwen play and he's a tremendous basketball player. D'Angelo Isby has also been granted his release. He was more of a role guy last year, but um, we also liked him as well. He's also declared for the NBA draft. So maybe we have seen him in his final year of collegiate eligibility, but that already knocks off two of maybe your best bucket getters besides Sam Merrill on the roster. So it'll be Merrill and then a bunch of other role guys who will need to step up next season for Utah State to remain competitive. But Craig Smith, I just hope that Utah State is able to have more patience with him than they were with Tim Durier. Otherwise, he's not going to have many more than three seasons because I do think this will take at least a couple of years to turn around. There just isn't that much talent retained for next season or coming in for the year after. Let me ask you this. Were you blown away by that hire? By Utah State hire? Yeah. I, I'm i not blown away by it, but I think it's a really solid hire. Okay, because their AD says you'll be blown away by the level of interest we're getting from this job. Yeah, so I like, mean... <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> I, you know... Mark Fox was rumored for this job a number of times and also a bit at CSU, and that fizzled out. So I don't know if those quotes came while Fox was still rumored to go to Utah State because if they were able to land a guy that has had decent success at the power conference level, add him to a Utah State staff or a Colorado State staff, that would be pretty impressive. And I think just about everyone would be on board with that. But um, hiring a head coach before, yeah. It was before, yeah, I I figured it was. But I think you can't complain if you're a fan of Utah State and you land a guy like Craig Smith. I think he'll do uh, just fine as long as he's given enough time. So what was the best hire, you think, out of those three? I think it. I think it's probably Nico Medved at Colorado State. I think that he has shown in his just handful of years as a head coach that he is able to turn around programs that may not have as much talent 
um, as others within this league. And I think that Colorado State's a pretty desirable place within the Mountain West, and he has familiarity with the university as well. So he knows what he's doing, and he seems very likable. The players uh, seem to uh, really like him as a head coach. So I think he'll get that thing turned around in, in no time at all. All right, so let's get to, um, in that same vein, the opposite, people leaving the conference. We already mentioned, I'll stick with the NBA stuff since you mentioned a few guys. Um, I guess Isby, which he wasn't probably coming back anyways because he basically left the team after or during the Mountain West Conference tournament. So NBA guys is the big deal. Brandon McCoy, I guess it's, uh, is it official he's hired an agent or was there just reports that he hired an agent from like, I saw somebody from 24-7 say he hired an agent. Has that been official yet or is it still kind of rumor that he has I'm, an agent? I'm 99% sure it's official. I, I'm I'm almost positive it is. Okay, well, he's gone, so that kind of hurts you UNLV quite a bit because we might see this with Rebels. If they're getting good talent, like they're still getting good players in, they're not getting enough good players to be able to, be able to do this one and done too many times. Like, I know Anthony Bennett, number one overall, but he's a really good college player. They have all these guys to leave after one or two years. Are they – I know kind of go off topic a little bit, but are they better off getting guys who are not, like, top ten guys who might leave in a year or getting just a solid group of guys who might stay three years? Because if you look who made the Final Four – like for the most part, was it Villanova had a lot of multi-year players, Loyola Chicago multi-year players. Typically, if you're making good runs, you're not unless you're Kentucky. Typically, or I guess Duke and Kansas to a lesser extent, you have guys who are in the program at least two years, if not three to four. You, you know what? To answer that question, I'm going to give you a stat because this is something that I found just a handful of weeks ago, which which should tell the whole story. So, Ken Palm has a stat that's called minutes continuity. And basically what that is, is just the percentage of minutes from the previous season that you retain for the upcoming season. So, I mean, if you retain all of your guys from the year before, then your continuity would be 100%. So mm-hmm. UNLV, the last five seasons, th- these are their national rankings in minute percentage continuity. 334th, 347th, 310th, 350th, and 311th. So that means they've had as much if not the most roster turnover in the last half decade as any program uh, in all of college basketball. And then the four years prior, there were top 250 in each of those four years and made the NCAA tournament each of those four years. So I don't think that's a coincidence. And I don't think that means that UNLV shouldn't be going after top prospects because if you can get a five-star talent like Brandon McCoy, you jump on that no matter, no matter what. I mean, that's, you don't want to turn down a five-star. That just wouldn't make much sense. But UNLV just has to find a way to get roster stability or this this tournament drought will continue. I just don't think you can win consistently if you're not Kentucky or Duke or Kansas. If if uh, you're unable to stack up a roster full of five-stars. And UNLV, I'll give them credit. They're able to land as many four-stars or five-stars as anyone in this conference or at the mid-major level. But you still need to have senior leaders and upperclassmen that can get things done on a nightly basis. And the last five years or so, that just hasn't been the case. It makes sense, yeah, because obviously you don't want to turn around these guys who made under-19 national teams, stuff like that, playing quite well at those tournaments pre, like he did during the summer. It's just, and also I was thinking, like, okay, those numbers, maybe there's the one year where it's skewed because they lost basically the whole team with uh, Marvin Menzies coming in, the Chris Baird thing, losing – or I don't remember, uh, Dave, firing Dave Rice, Todd Simon going to Southern Utah, that didn't get the job. I thought, okay, maybe that year will be super high, but it's no different than having Dave Rice or not. You know what I mean? Like I kind of thought that number would increase with a coach leaving or a new coach coming in. So it's – you're right. you got to – like go for the best talent, but you got to have guys that's – because, again, he's only one player. I know basketball, if you have one elite guy, it could be amazing, but it's not just one guy who does it all. If you have a few, and even the other guys they get are like high-rated guys, it's just you're right. You gotta have a combination of both. They're not plus UNLV is not gonna have five guys coming in who are one and done. And so if they have maybe one or guys, you guys have a combination. It's just uh, they're gonna struggle again next year because there's we know who those people are. We said they're gonna be amazing this year and they finish probably slightly below even we thought, but it's gonna be that's an interesting step. Do you have New Mexico's in front of you just for just curiosity? New Mexico's roster turnover. Yeah, yeah, I can pull it up in just a sec. Uh, New Mexico's this past season, uh, they ranked 317 roster continuity. 
year before that, they were 45th. They returned a lot that year and won only 17 games. Then it was 276 the year before that and 317th the year before that. So I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll probably have to check this in coming weeks. That could be a bit of an interesting stat. But New Mexico and UNLV have had as much roster turnover as any other teams in the conference. And I think that's why they are the teams that are mentioned to have struggled in recent years. And that's why you hear the national media saying, well, once Nevada, or excuse me, not Nevada, New Mexico and UNLV are back to their usual selves, then I think this conference will be a multi-bid league again. And I think that's just the case. You just have to have enough guys coming back and enough talent coming in and a nice mixture of that, and you'll have a good roster. But that's what we said in August and September and October when people telling people were telling us that UNLV was going to blow the doors off of this conference. Uh, but you can't just welcome a bunch of new guys every single year and expect to overnight for everything to gel and come together. And so you're, ta- so you're telling me it's not a top 15 team. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. But I, I guess for the <laughs> same, the same argument though, Musselman uh, out of Nevada, he's been able to do that and their roster continuity hasn't been that high. And that's because they tailor their roster to bring in transfers every year. But even Nevada brought back the bulk of their stars from a season ago with Caroline and, uh, and Josh Hall and Lindsey Drew, all of which played significant roles this season. So um, I don't know what the secret recipe is to retain these guys, but if you're a UNLV fan, you just hope to have the players uh, to be relatively the same from year to year as much as you possibly can. Um, all right. So as I went to Draft Express. I didn't realize they moved everything to ESPN, so it'll take me a second to do what I want to do next. But I, I know they did ESPN, but I thought they were doing both. Um, so I was going to go with, like, their top 50 stuff. Here's a question. Oh, let's move on to other players. Like, you're right. Like, I just wanted to see New Mexico because they had the one year where it changed quite a bit. And then the one year that was super high because we losing, um, getting in Paul Ware and stuff is a big deal. So other guys who haven't hired an agent, I mean, Jalen McDaniel, San Diego State, freshman, that's sort of surprising. Um, you have uh, Justin James Wyoming, um, same thing, Sean Taylor, uh, we already mentioned Isby, they have, uh, and then also um, Max Montoya graduating, but going to play in Europe. That's kind yeah, of that, one, right? that, was a bit of, that was a bit of a surprise as well, and, and Max Montana, he wasn't did I say Montoya? I meant Montana. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I think he, I think he maybe didn't give as much credit as he deserved while he was in an Aztec uniform. I thought he was a pretty solid ball player, had a lot of size and um, well, some perimeter ability. He knocked that down that major three in the Mountain West tournament final to help SDSU get to the tournament. But like you said, he is opting to um, turn pro, and that's. Uh, it was a surprise to me and a surprise to a number of other people that cover this conference. But I think that's going to be a bigger loss than what people will say heading into the next season. Because even when Montana isn't hitting his shots, the defense has to respect him for his um, perimeter prowess. So I think that um, could have an impact on next year's roster. But still, SCSU is looking to be in pretty good shape for the 2018-19 season. I think what it was that he was so highly recruited, people thought he just blow the like just come in and blow the doors off and dominate the conference. I think yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Right? Don't you think that was the case? I it, it could be. Um but there have been a number of highly rated recruits to come through this conference that might have been a bit disappointing. I mean, even Malik Pope, who is fantastic in his own right, did not live up to the expectations that a number of people said before him. So I don't know. I think Montana was still a solid player. And I just think that SDSU these last few years have had a bit of a tendency to go cold during games on offense. And Montana from time to time has been able to uh, pick up the phone and and answer that call for SDSU and knock down some big shots as he did in the tournament final. All right. So other guys who are leaving, it's of impact. Um, these, all these guys you mentioned did not hire an agent, except for well Montana. The reason he's going, or yeah, the reason he's going, he has a he's born in Europe, so has a passport, so he's not to be considered an American player because I maybe says passport is I forget because I hear this with BYU if you have like a passport in a certain country they'll go there because you can only have like two or three Americans per roster, so by having dual citizenship or something he can that's probably part of the reason. 
can be like your league or some high level Russian league and play hoops there and not count against that quota. But um, the guys are probably not coming back, which like, if you're shocked by this, you're just a, a blinded fan of your team. And speaking of like Cody Martin and Caleb Martin, even Jordan Caroline, that it's like, he sent a tweet saying, well, don't be surprised. They don't come back. Well, first off, it should surprise nobody. They wanted to uh, test the waters, but it seems like, Nothing official, obviously, but they're probably not coming back. It would I would be shocked if they came back because what else are they going to do, really? It's like your stock's pretty high, a good tournament run, and you've seen guys come back for another year, even in basketball or other sports, where, hey, we do good year before, stay on the year too late. And the NBA, they want younger guys to maybe have the extra year to develop or just totally upside potential because you'll see one-and-done guys go, guys from Europe who are 19 or South America coming in, 18, 19, one year out of high school, and jump, jump in the league. And so – they're probably not going to come back, which means all the top 25 posts I did, Eli, it's probably wasteful because all of them had them in the top 15 team in the country. <laughs> so it's 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 probably not going to happen. I would same with Deshaun Taylor. I don't think he's coming back either. I think that 99% of the people that are listening to this would would just completely disagree with you on that. And I think you that's mean 99%. Fine. You mean 99% of Nevada fans who are listening to this. I mean, shout out to our Fresno State listeners too. I think yeah. uh, I think Deshaun I think Deshaun Taylor does return to Fresno State. Uh, he's already said some nice things about uh, Justin Hudson coming in, and he he does seem dedicated to the university and finishing out his career in a Fresno State uniform. So we'll see what happens with that. I think Caroline also returns, and my prediction for the Martin twins is that they both leave. What makes this scenario complex is that although the Martin twins haven't really shown up on many draft boards at all at all and they have said publicly that they hope to play together as long as possible Nevada does welcome four players next year that average at least 13 points per game in their 2017 season so playing 30 to 35 minutes a game just isn't a reality for next season no matter who it is because Nevada is deeper they have as much scoring pop as they've had under Eric Musselman. And that might be an incentive for the Martin twins to call it a, a career in a Wolfpack uniform. So we'll see what happens. I do believe that both of the Martin twins have the capabilities of playing professionally and, and also appearing on NBA roster because of how they defend and how they're able to shoot and create their own shots. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if either result happened. And I know a lot of people think that, that leaving Reno wouldn't even cross their minds. There are a lot of Nevada fans that have voiced their opinions on that. Um, but they do have a handful of weeks to decide. And for the sake of the conference, you hope that they return. But if they want to turn professionally, more credit to them. And knowing their background and their humble beginnings, I think that's a pretty awesome opportunity that two twins would be able to play professional basketball. And I don't blame anybody who wants to go or love to make some cash. Yeah, there have been. I I don't. I don't mean to cut you off there, but it's. There have been so many national writers who have just gone after these eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-olds for making their decisions, whether it be transferring, declaring for the NBA draft, that they don't think that they're uh, capable of being drafted, or um, choosing to step away from the programs or anything like that. And I think at the end of the day, we need to look at the players as as what they are, which is college students and either teenagers or early 20 year olds that are trying to find the path that suits them the best. And even though that might not fit the agenda of what certain writers think or what certain fans think, you have to respect them because the purpose of attending college in the first place is to better your future. And if a player thinks that maybe going professionally as Max Montana did, I know that's a head scratcher to a lot of people if he's ready to play professional ball and wants to get paid to do so, then you have to give him props for that. So uh, we'll see more transfers between now and November when the first games tip off. And if that's what the players want to do, then that's what they want to do. But I think Mm -hmm. uh, there have just been so many writers that have gone after these players for choosing these respective decisions. And I I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. Like you can question or ponder why they're doing it, but don't belittle their decision because this is I'm not I, I have no clue if this is the case for these players, but there's some times where it's a head scratcher, 
especially because you'll see all the amount of here's the thing that will come out late once the draft ends or lead into it. There are 105 underclassmen declared. There's only 64 picks. And so that's just underclassmen declared. You'll see that. Okay, great. That's that happens. But sometimes the guys go pro because again, I'm not saying this is the case for anybody in the Mountain West, but you see in the NFL draft as well. A lot of guys are not eligible to come back. So what's the point? So you might as well declare. That's sometimes a big reason you don't realize that they're trying to take a long shot and help their family who needs money where that's why they're declaring the NFL draft to have more chances because, you know, I mean, there's seven rounds, there's 53 players, NFL roster, practice squad, adds a few more here and there. You can make a training camp and get a few bucks, but there are, that's sometimes that's the reason it's like, they're not gonna be eligible for whatever reason, whether the grades or anything else. And, but if you're, you can, I don't, I don't make deals like, well, it's kind of odd. Max is going to go, declare or not well i guess whatever it's called leaving state to to go overseas in europe that is an odd choice but you don't need to like i said belittle or say why are you doing that your team has a great chance to be great like nevada if these guys come back national title contender there's a reason they're 30 to 1 odds to win the title next year with their current roster and who's coming back but like you said nevada's going to actually have a bench next year not play six guys they may go eight or nine deep next year if they bring everybody back they'd be one of the deepest teams in the conference with all these guys who brought a lot who could score 10 to 15, maybe 20 points per game. That's going to hurt the Martin Twins value of what they could be next year if they're playing from 35 minutes to 28 minutes a game because they have depth and whether these guys coming in are better than them or more suited for the college game or whatever reason, they chip in their playing time regardless. And so it may, like pro scouts could tell, oh, the guy only played like a freshman 10 minutes a game, but they could see how good a potential he has. That could still be the case for these guys if they get less playing time, but Run the court less, less film, less competition, less reps. But you can question, but don't say it's a dumb move. But you put it correctly. You put it going to college is to better their professional life. And that could be these guys, it seems like basketball. Other people go to school for obviously education. They get a scholarship and they're the 10th guy to bench, but they get their education paid for and can get a good degree to find a good job. And so it's whatever the reason, you can question it, but don't like make fun of it or say it's the wrong choice because you don't know what's going on in their life. Not, I'd, well, 98% of the people who are saying that probably don't know what's going on in these guys' lives to declare. It could be money. Yep. It could be they're tired of school. It's some guys, I don't want to go to college anymore. I have a family. I Some guys have kids in college. They have a kid or two, and they need to make money, and so they want to give it a try. And that's – there you go. That's, just don't make fun of it. It's like questioning is fine, but don't say it's dumb. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. Um, all right, we're about to wrap it up here. I guess uh, we did transfer. Uh, do we we didn't transfer stuff? Who's the? Yeah, we did. Do we do enough transfers? I think we're missing a few for some reason. Yeah, uh, we we've got a handful of them. New Mexico State or not New Mexico State? Wow, <laughs> New Mexico. <laughs> uh, the two minor role players this past season. They're uh, headed out of Albuquerque. Also, Kazan Jardine from Boise State, another role player, and then. The trio at San Jose State, which happened about a month ago with Keith Fisher, Ryan Willage, and J.C. Hilsman, all of which are capable of playing on pretty solid teams the remainder of their careers. It'll be interesting to see where Ryan Willage goes because I think he could land some power conference offers, very efficient scorer and um, inside-out kind of guy. And, of, of course, Isby McEwen and then Wyoming also loses Brodericks Jones, Anthony Mack, and Andrew Momeka. So, Mostly role players, but you do have your stars with Willage and, and Isby uh, and Kobe McEwen. So there are some talent leaving, but as we know, uh, there is plenty and plenty of talent coming in for next year's roster. So um, as much as we've seen Mountain West lose quality players in recent years, I think they've more than made up for it with the, the quality players, uh, like the Martin Twins, so to speak, that have entered the Mountain West and had glowing success. And we also have a tracker up. I, I need to put it to our top five, but guys coming in or out. There's only a couple of guys coming in at the moment. You have Carlton Bragg. Are these guys, Eli, for coming in to who's transferring, not eligible this year, but coming to the program this next year? Is that right? Uh, some of them are. Uh, so, so like Dylan Harris, he's, he transferred now, is going to be eligible in 2020, essentially, right? That's that's correct. Yeah, Harris is one of, is, as of right now, he's the only Nevada transfer that won't be eligible this upcoming season. So the other four um, scores that I was talking about earlier, they're all eligible. Harris isn't one of them. Okay, just making sure that how people go to this, because like San Jose State has Samuel, 
Jaffet, 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 Mathis from Wake Forest. He's coming in eventually. A Pyron Edwards of CSU from Texas Tech. So, and we'll update this list quite a bit because there's a lot of stuff that happens that goes on throughout the uh, offseason. Because he wrote the article last year about it's not a transfer epidemic when you look at the percentage of guys who transfer to a. Uh, here's the thing too, like you, th- you think about it, like we maybe we'll do another show on this again once we have all the transfer list to get a better idea of next year. But people are like, oh, this guy's transferring from the Sun Belt to Pac-12 or the MAC to the Big Ten. Everybody's transferring to the Mountain West is going, yes, a lesser league, if you go by RPI, Wake, there's a transfer coming in from Wake Forest, Arizona State, Texas Tech, and the other guy is from Louisiana Tech, Dion Harris, which is probably a slight uptick. And then you have the one reverse guy in uh, Chris Martin going to Oklahoma. So more as for this super small sample size, the guys are going tra- essentially transferring down a level. And that you see, I forget, was that correct? That's what you saw more often than not, right? They don't transfer, yes, they transfer yes. equal or down. Yep, that's that's what my research did indicate. And more than half of all transfers actually leave Division One basketball entirely to go play either at JUCO or, or D2. So uh, I, Seth Greenberg will tell you otherwise, and that's perfectly fine if he wants to say so. But what history has shown and what I've researched is that players tend to transfer down or transfer laterally and four of the five, at least the ones that we noted are transferring from power conferences down to the mountain West. I would say, I guess the epidemic could be okay because of just the sheer numbers, but again, percentage is not great either. Cause it wasn't like 800 players last year. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could approach a thousand. I don't know what it currently is on verbal commits. I'll have to check that out. Um, but, I mean, epidemic's just a word. You can say it if you think it's a bad thing, or you can say it's a trend if it's a good thing. So it really is up to you. But, um, yeah, and there, there have been so many takes on this, good or bad and insightful or uh, not insightful at all. So, uh, <laughs> you say dumb, yeah, okay. it is what it is. <laughs> it's a yeah, lot, there's, it's a, there have been some dumb takes, yeah. It's just a lot of players, you know what I mean? But it, just because it's sheer quantity doesn't mean it's good or bad. Yep. It's like exactly. I can I can have pizza as much as I want. Doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I like it. I'll be fine. I can eat pizza and tacos every day. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but I mean, like for enjoyment wise, that's not gonna it's not gonna hinder my enjoyment to have a taco every day or have a pizza every day. It may not yeah, be the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say Nevada wins every. If Nevada adds Martin Twins every week, I don't think that would be something the conference would be too upset either. So <laughs> it's all, all right. comes with proportions. Okay, I'll wrap it up right quick. Got a couple minutes left here. You're putting up a piece for early look. <clears throat> excuse me. Early look at 2019 is if Nevada loses, let's just say that what you predicted, Caroline's back, Martin Twins are gone. Are they still the number one team next year? Yes. Yes, definitely. By a good margin. Okay, who's who's number two? Because I have no clue who should be number two at the moment because I haven't done my research. I would have to guess, uh, would it be New Mexico? Yeah, that's that, what I currently have. Ooh, yeah, boy. I, I do. I, it's crazy the turnaround, huh? We had them, I believe, planted in tenth place this time last year, and now they're all Sorry, the way up to Paul second. Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, he was right. He proved us wrong. They add three transfers who are former five-star recruits: Vance Jackson, Carlton Bragg, Jaquan Lyle, and also get a really solid guard in Drew Drennan, who's a freshman, and return some quality players from last year's team that reach the Mountain West Finals. So I think New Mexico is going to make a run and scare Nevada a little bit, especially if they do lose a couple more guys. I think that will be a pretty entertaining race. Had San Diego State not lost Max, Montana, and also, um, well, maybe Joseph McDaniel, would they be number two? I think you can you can make an argument for both. I think there's definitely an argument for San Diego State as the number two team. I don't think Max Montana is enough to knock SDSU from second to third if that's where you had them slotted. I think if mm-hmm. Aztecs lose McDaniels, that's a big hit because I think McDaniels could be a potential player of the year type candidate as a sophomore if he does choose to return, which I think he will. But losing Trey Kell, Malik Pope, Cameron Rooks, all seniors, role players who have made huge plays down the stretch for San Diego State, I think that is just a bit too much to overcome to – play San Diego State in third, or excuse me, in second. So I do have them third right now. Uh, but if you want to make an argument that San Diego State has a bit more coming in next season than New Mexico, I would, I would definitely listen to that argument. All right, let's not give the whole thing away because I want people to read it. So go check right. out the MWR.com. That'll be up um, uh, it'll be up Friday morning at some point. 
So check out for that. We'll have uh, we'll do more basketball. I think we'll do a few more basketball podcasts off season because not that we neglect hoops, but me and Matt can talk football whenever we want, like every other day. There's and I'm glad my computer <laughs> is sort of working back properly. I have a Chromebook. My MacBook will cost uh, too much to mention on air to get fixed because it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about this, but uh, we'll have more hoops podcast once the transfer stuff levels out. NBA draft because we got Chandler Hutchinson. Um, McCoy probably could be a potential first round pick just because potential and maybe lottery from what, if you're reading for what's been going on, but check us out. iTunes, blog talk, radio, Stitcher, anywhere you get your pop, find podcast or sold. And we'll see you next time folks.